0: Good evening. It's a it's a real privilege to uh, to open God's word uh, and share something with you tonight. And uh, so, as you're, as a Bible is appearing in your hand, or as you're opening up your phone app or whatever it is that you use to uh, to follow and read God's word, then perhaps you'd like to turn to Luke chapter seven. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, and I'd like us to tonight have a look at the story of Jesus being anointed by the sinful woman. Luke 7 verse 36, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered... Has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I've entitled tonight's um, sort of talk or thoughts, uh, wholehearted forgiveness, wholehearted love. And I hope that that is what will come through uh, as I share with you. But I want to start with a story about this man, and some of you will recognise him. Um, It's Chris Bowater, um, uh, Christian worship leader, co-founder of Worship Academy. Um, I think he's also uh, called uh, the Father of Modern Worship, I think was uh, a title that's also been given to him. Wrote uh, a number of Christian songs, some of which we sing, Jesus Shall Take the Highest Honour, which I know we're going to sing a little bit later. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. A lovely, lovely man. And I had the privilege, and I was trying to work out how long ago it was, I think it was about 28 years ago, at a little church in, um, in East London, where Chris Boward had come uh, to lead worship and to play. And towards the end of his time of uh, leading worship, he had uh, an open time where he invited people to come up and have a sense of being accepted by God, accepted by Jesus, and um, slowly but surely, this this uh, line of people started to uh, to form, and uh, one by one they came up to, to Chris Bowater, and uh, Chris Bowater would you know he's putting his hands on them or just giving them a, a little bit of a you know a little bit of a hug, and saying, you know, you're accepted by God, you're loved by God, and uh, slowly but surely that time ended and and people returned to their seats and just before he went to sit down this man appeared kind of out of the shadows at the back of the church i would dare to say he was probably homeless he was definitely an alcoholic possibly a drug user i don't know but he made his way slowly and very humbly to the front of the church towards chris bowwater and he went up to him, and I could just sort of sense people around me. And there was a few people kind of giving this man a little bit of a look, as if to say, who is he? Where's he come from? What does he think he's doing? But Chris Bowwater just didn't shift, and this man headed towards him. And Chris Bowwater put his arms around this man, and he must have held him for what seemed like a long, long time, but a good five minutes, he held on to this man. You could see tears running down this man's eyes as he felt a sense of acceptance. And as he stepped away from, from Chris, there were stains of this man on, on the shirt that, that Chris, Chris was wearing. And this man sort of moved back down and out, out towards the back of the church. And I tell you that story because there are some similarities in it to the story that we've just read. We've got this uh, man who came forward in this, uh, to, to, to come face-to-face with, with Chris. And he's a little bit like the woman in the account that we've just read who anoints Jesus. We've got the onlooking congregation, some of whom, as I said, seemed as though they were kind of questioning and sneering a little bit at, Why why was this man, who did he think he was, that he felt that he could um, be a part of what was going on? And we have Chris himself, who showed the most incredible grace and acceptance to this man, just as Jesus did to the woman that we've read about. I'd like us to look at this passage and just break it down into, into three parts. The actions of the woman the reaction of Simon, and then the response of Jesus. And hopefully this wholehearted forgiveness, wholehearted love um, idea will will come out as, as we do. So let's look at the actions of the woman. We have this unnamed woman. She turns up unannounced and uninvited at a dinner party that Simon the Pharisee is hosting. She cries tears over his feet, wipes them with her hair, kisses them and pours perfume on them. Why? Why such an act of love and devotion? I think that many, many times I've read this story, I've kind of been led to believe that this was the first encounter that this woman had had with Jesus. But I don't think anyone would come up to Jesus having never met him, never heard about him, and do what she did. I think that there has been some kind kind of encounter with this woman from Jesus already. In the preceding chapters of Luke, the six chapters before, it's very clear that Jesus' ministry is having a massive impact on the regions and areas where he goes. News is spreading of him wherever he visits. He's known to be healing multitudes of people. And he is known as someone who is bringing forgiveness to people's lives. He has stood in the synagogue in Nazareth in chapter 4 and declared, and Ian quoted these words this morning, that he is the one who has come to preach good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for captives, open blind eyes, and to free the oppressed. Jesus was drawing huge crowds wherever he went, and it would be nigh impossible to have heard what he was teaching and to see what he was doing. It's a bit like trying to suggest that you don't know that there's a World Cup going on. It would be a bit like being in Windsor a few weeks ago and not knowing that there was a royal wedding going on. Jesus was known, what he was doing was spoken about, people were talking about him, people were flocking to see him. And this woman... She's called a sinful woman. Most people would tend to suggest that she was a prostitute, had heard of and possibly met Jesus. And she found in him someone who accepted her and did not condemn her. She'd no doubt been condemned by the Pharisees. She certainly was in this incident tonight. But she had, she had no doubt heard that, that she'd no doubt heard Jesus announce. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this woman had found in Jesus someone who offered her hope like no other and a life of incomparable transformation. And having realised her deep need for Jesus and believing and knowing that she will not be condemned in any way by him, she heads to Simon's house hearing that Jesus was going there. Now, it wasn't unusual in the culture of the day for people to turn up at your house and to listen and to watch what was going on, particularly if someone like like Jesus or a a, a teacher, another teacher, was, was going to be there. And people would sit around the outside of the room and observe and take in everything that was going on. And when Jesus turns up and has dinner with Simon, they... And Simon, in particular, witnessed something that they were not expecting. Our unnamed woman shows the most extravagant act of love and devotion to Jesus. And I just want to do a quick fire six things, six ways that this woman showed love and devotion to Jesus. First of all, she was prepared In verse 45, we read this. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Again, in the past, I thought that this woman turned up partway through the meal. But Jesus says, from the time I entered, she's not stopped kissing my feet. It seems that she was already there, possibly already waiting. She was prepared she was waiting to pour out her love and devotion to Jesus. How ready are we to love Jesus on a daily basis? How prepared are we? Do we wake up each morning and say, Oh, Lord, it's morning. Or do we say, it's morning, O Lord, with a great sense of expectation and readiness to serve God on a daily basis? The second thing she was, she was repentant. Upon coming face to face with Jesus, she shows real emotion. She could not contain her tears. And in my profession, I've met a number of prostitutes. And I can tell you that they're hard people. I've never seen one in 29 years break down in tears. They're just not wired that way. They may be hurting on the inside, but on the outside, they're hard as nails. But so repentant was the love of this woman towards Jesus that she cries enough tears to wash his feet. And then she takes down her hair and dries Jesus' feet with it probably the only other time she would have taken down her hair would have been in an act of, uh, of, 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 of within, within the uh, job that she, a job if you want to put it in inverted commas, um, had as a prostitute. And I think that shows real repentance, that when she would take her hair down in a sinful act, she was prepared to take down her hair and dry Jesus' feet with it. What an act of repentance. Thirdly, we see that she was humble. Every action this woman did was at the feet of Jesus. I can't imagine there are too many people out there who like feet. Feet are not the place you would want to be, certainly in the days of Jesus, with all that they may have trodden through and in. And normally it would have been the lowest servant in the house that washed people's feet. But the woman didn't just wash them, she continually kissed them in an act of incomparable gratitude. Kissing someone's feet shows real reverence. We often sing songs about worshipping at the feet of Jesus. And someone once said that worship at the feet of Jesus shows his greatness and our unworthiness. She was focused. This woman does not move from the feet of Jesus, according to what we have read. She's come to a deep realisation of her need for him and her love and her devotion are focused entirely on him. A few months back, we celebrated the Reformation and the one particular Sunday that really got me was when we looked at... All glory to God. And this woman shows all glory to Jesus. She focuses entirely on him. It was costly. She was ready for it to cost her. It cost her financially in terms of the perfume she used on Jesus' feet. But it cost her far deeper than that. Because she had, it cost her the sneers... And the looks and and the scorn of those who looked on at her in condemnation. But she'd already counted the cost, and her desire to show love and devotion far outweighed any repercussions. And finally, it was effective. I don't think it would be possible to have been in that room without being affected in some way by this woman's actions. Her act of love and devotion and the pouring of perfume on Jesus' feet affected everyone that was present in one way or another. Her emotions, her her humility, her awesome outpouring of devotion, along with the physical smell of the perfume that filled the room. Well, it got up the nose of Simon the Pharisee in more ways than one. What a model of love and devotion. What a model to aspire to as followers of Jesus Christ. I think it would be fair to say that that is real worship in spirit and truth. Something that Ian often quotes at the beginning of a a service. Those are the type the Father seeks. It's real, it's honest, it's deep from within this woman's heart. And so we get the reaction of Simon. Simon, as we know, is a Pharisee. He was the one who invited Jesus into his home and this woman turns up unannounced, uninvited. And his reaction to what happens is recorded in just one verse, in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Simon inwardly protests. He just could not grasp how Jesus could let such a sinful woman touch him. She's contaminated. Simon condemns her and disapproves of her. Now, we often give the Pharisees a bit of a hard time, don't we? And it would be easy for us to jump on Simon and his reaction. But let's just weigh things up for a moment here. Because, like the woman, Simon is actually zealous. He's zealous for God. He's an upright, religious man who keeps the law. He would have been someone who tithed regularly, prayed three times a day, and never missed going to the synagogue. Because in the heart of Simon was the utmost desire to love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, strength and mind, honouring the first and greatest commandment. But unfortunately what the Pharisees did do in order to achieve this was to separate themselves. And the word Pharisee actually means to separate. So to maintain their own holiness, they would have nothing to do with those that they condemned as sinners. In many ways, they were right in their zealousness for God. But unfortunately, the way they went about it meant that they were so self-righteous that they had no compassion for others. Jesus wanted the Pharisees to love God with all their heart which they seriously pursued. But he also wanted them to take hold of the second greatest commandment, to love others as they loved themselves. And because of his self-righteousness, Simon failed to see his need for Jesus. He failed to see his need for forgiveness in the way the woman had identified hers. In his own mind, he was far better than she was and didn't need what she needed. All he could do was step on her and make himself look more godly and holy. And so we've got two very different people. One who recognizes her need for Jesus in such a way that she pours out her heart and soul in love and devotion to him, recognizing Jesus' acceptance of her. And Simon, who has a love for God but does not come anywhere close to the woman's devotion because of his own sense of self-righteousness. So time for a little bit of self-confession now. I've got a desire to love and to honour Jesus like that woman. But many times, I feel a bit like Simon. Because I look at that woman and I think, she's like someone today who's had one of those amazing, life-transforming testimonies and that's why she worships Jesus in the way she does because she has been supposedly saved from, from, from so much for me I've been fortunate and privileged to be have a background of being brought up in church all my life taught the stories of Jesus from a young age taught to pray to give and have a desire to love God and so some of the time, when I think about this woman's response to Jesus, it makes me feeling that I'm way short sometimes of what Jesus deserves. Now, whether you feel the same way as me, or whether you simply have a desire to honour Jesus in a deeper way, like this woman, then listen to the response of Jesus to Simon because hopefully it will inspire us to a deeper level of love and devotion. Jesus addresses Simon's condemning thoughts towards the woman with a simple parable, probably the most simple parable he tells. Two men owe money to a moneylender, one a large amount, and this was equal to roughly a year and a half's wages. The other one owes a smaller amount, roughly 50 days' wages. Neither can pay, so he cancels both of their debt. And Jesus says to Simon, Who will love him more? And Simon reluctantly admits the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. To grow this deeper love and devotion for Jesus, we need to remind ourselves daily of three things that are clear from this parable that Jesus tells. And the first one is this. Every single one of us has a great debt. Both of the men in Jesus' story had a debt to pay. And it was no small amount for either of them whether it was 50 days' wages or a year and a half's wages. And again, we may be tempted to think that the woman had a greater debt to pay than Simon. And on the outside, that's possibly true. But God looks at the heart of men and women and sees in Simon pride and self-righteousness. If we think about Paul, he himself was a former Pharisee. He was the best of the best, zealous for God, and yet he called himself the worst of sinners. We often use that analogy um, about a swimming pool and that sinners are all in the swimming pool together. And that you've got one end, you've got the shallow end. Those who've committed the least serious sins are at the shallow end, and those who've committed the worst are at the deep end. Well, it's a helpful analogy in some ways. But it also suggests that somehow some sins are less serious than others. But the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are nothing and nobody without Jesus. Jesus wants Simon to see that he also has a great debt to pay even if he thinks he's more righteous than the woman, even if he thinks he's in the shallow end of the pool. And we too need to remember that we had or have a great debt to pay. The next thing that comes out of Jesus' story is that we are unable to pay our debt. Neither of the men in Jesus' story could repay their debt And there is absolutely nothing that any of us can do to repay the debt of our wrongdoing. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. No amount of effort on our part in any form will enable us to pay our debt. We can pray all we like. We can give all our money. We can attend every church service, read our Bibles inside out, but we will never pay our debt. And we need to recognise that we are totally and utterly bankrupt. Somebody said it's like putting icing on a mouldy cake. All the good works and stuff that we put over the top is simply covering over the mouldy cake. Now, I had the privilege last Sunday of going to a baptismal service up in Suffolk where a young man from the camp that we run in the summer was being baptised. And it was a real privilege because we listened to his testimony and all he spoke about was camp, which which, which is a real blessing because it makes you realise that what you do is worthwhile. And he told us in his testimony about how he'd come home from his first year at camp and he said, I I learned that I needed to read my Bible every day. And he said, I gave it a go and he said, I I got to the end of August and then I couldn't do it anymore. I kind of struggled. So I came back to camp the following year, he said. And I went home with the same thought process. I needed to read my Bible more. And this time I got to Christmas. And then he came back the third year, which was last year. And he said, The third year at camp, he said, I realised it was just about Jesus. It was just about Jesus. That's all I needed. It wasn't about what I could do and what I could try and achieve. He said, It was just about Jesus. All I needed was him. The third thing we see in the story that Jesus tells uh, to Simon is that we need to rely 100% on God's grace and forgiveness. Because when neither of the men could pay, repay their debt, the master cancels it outright for both of them. He didn't even give them some kind of payment plan. Out of grace and forgiveness, he lets them go free. Now, we can often think of forgiveness as just mere words. It's by way of example. If one of you stole £20 pounds, first of all, you'd be... One of two things would come to mind. First of all, you'd be very lucky to find £20 in my pocket. But secondly, I've got a choice. When I find out that you've stolen £20, I can choose to forgive you. And I can say, I forgive you for taking that £20. I can cancel the debt. But actually forgiveness goes deeper than that because the debt's not only cancelled but it's taken on by the one who cancels it. So not only do I forgive but I have to pay the £20 as well. And of course Jesus not only forgives us in words But he also takes on our debt at the cross so that we are free of it forever. I read something in my daily devotions not too long ago and I want to share it with you and it's about Barabbas. We're just like Barabbas. We deserve to die for our sins. Four prison walls thickened with fear, hurt and hate surround us. We're incarcerated by our past our low road choices and our high-minded pride. We've been found guilty. We sit on the floor of a dusty cell awaiting the final moment. Our executioner's footsteps echo against the stone walls. Head between knees, we don't look up as he opens the door. We don't lift our eyes as he begins to speak. We know what he's going to say. Time to pay for your sins. But then you hear something else. You're free to go. They took Jesus instead of you. The door swings open. The guard barks, get out. We find ourselves in the light of the morning sun. Shackles gone. Crimes pardoned. Wondering what just happened. Grace happened. Christ took away our sins, all of them. Where did he take them? to the top of a hill called Calvary, God, in his gracious kindness, declares us not guilty through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. When we realise our great debt and our complete inability to repay it, we find at the cross a place of grace and forgiveness and freedom. And one of my favourite old hymns has this line in it. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The truths of God's amazing grace should cause us to love and be devoted to Jesus more and more. They should enable us to be like this woman who realised her need, came in repentance, received forgiveness, showed her love and gratitude to Jesus in the most incredible way. And just to clear up any ambiguity with verse 47, which reads this, I tell you her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved Much. That makes it sound like she achieved her forgiveness because of her actions. But it was not her actions towards Jesus that brought her forgiveness. She'd already received grace and forgiveness from Jesus. Her debt had been cancelled, and she merely showed her deep appreciation in the way that she honoured Jesus. The good news version puts it, I think, far better. I tell you, the great love she has shown proves that her many sins have been forgiven. The woman who entered the house of Simon was unnamed, uninvited, and unannounced, but she left with the name child of God. She left invited into God's eternal kingdom, and she left with the announcement to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.